Say hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. God, you're good. God, you're great. God, you're awesome. God, you are amazing. God, you are everything. It's glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I pray that you were blessed on last Sabbath when we talked about the Sabbath. I brought in my Sabbath a, a new and a different way last night. Just singing to myself, all by myself, welcome into this place. Welcome into this broken vessel. Happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Your pastor is in South Central Conference right now preaching at their camp meeting. Please pray for him as he is away and pray that he will have safe traveling mercies as well. This month, as we get geared up and we get ready for evangelism, somebody say amen. amen. We have a new book. You know, we always try to correlate our new series with a book or a lesson plan or a study. We have it available for you. I put it in Tammy's office. So we invite you to please get that on the prayer line. They'll be going through it for the better part of this month and on into next month for about 40 days. This has some good tips. And if you want to witness to somebody, if you want to evangelize or even reach people in your home, we invite you to get this book and go along with it with us. Just to let you know. The evangelistic series that will be happening in July will be altogether different than anything that you have ever seen. Pastor and I plan to set this place up like a huge AA meeting. Yeah. Our theme for July will be rehab, getting control of your life. How many of you need rehab? Come on, let's be honest. Each and every one of us a little crazy every once in a while. Truth is, some of us hear voices, and it's not the voice of the Lord, uh, but everybody needs a little rehab every once in a while. And so we're praying by God's grace to go and preach from that. We're going to tag team it all over again. We're going to be together. Amen. Uh, today, I kind of miss my partner in crime. I'm naked. I'm nervous. I don't know what I'm doing up here by myself, uh, but we're going to do it together. We plan on having 12 nights to correlate with 12 steps and 12 chapters of a book as well that we're going to give to you. Every night when we come in here, uh, we're going to have a motto or a saying just like they do in AA groups because we all need rehab in some way. We're going to have t-shirts available for you that say X this and X that because we know God has saved us and we're really excited about this thing. So we want you to be all in with us, to be praying for us, to be fasting with us. And please, if you have the time, uh, get the book. They are $10 today. Um, if you don't have the money today, you can put it in the envelope and we will get that from you later. Last but certainly not least, I made an executive decision just to postpone uh, baptism to the end of service today. We had a brother named Damien who is on his way. He's 50 minutes minutes behind and I was going to tell him to wait, but he said, pastor, I got so many people coming. And so I hope you don't mind that I postpone it to the end of service and I pray that you won't leave. We want to make sure and give him the support that he needs as a young man coming into the church. If you look to my left, your right, you will see Elder Whitehead and Elder Bozeman uh, dressed so well. Uh, <laughs> these brothers decided <laughs> they were going to help me this morning, and they decided that they would just keep on their guard so that they can stay by and uh, help me baptize the participants today. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. This morning, because I know that you are sleepy already, won't you stand to your feet? <clears throat> John, John. We're going to go to the book of John which is arguably, I believe, Children's Church. Okay, Children's Church is downstairs. It's not okay once we let you know. If you have children, please send them downstairs as well. All right? Book of John in chapter 4. Book of John in chapter 4. John is arguably the best book in the Bible, and I am biased. 
And I believe that if you read the book of John, you can be saved. Praise the Lord. John chapter 4. One verse for this morning, and then we'll kind of go back and forth through this chapter a little bit. We're in God's city, my city. We're getting ready for evangelism. John chapter 4 and verse 15. 15. If you have it, say pastor. Oh, come on. Say pastor. I'm thirsty. Here we go. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Get what she's saying. The woman said to him, him being Jesus, sir, please give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Let's pray. Father, I need you right now. We would see Jesus. No one has come today to see John Anthony Coxham. They have come so that you may open their eyes and unstop their ears and open up their hearts to what you have to say to them. We advertise that God is in this building. We advertise to people that we come here today to lift up praises to our king who meets with us when just two or three are gathered together. We pray, oh God, that we may not false advertise to those who have come. Somebody needs you to speak to them. And I don't want to stand in the way of what you are doing. I pray that you may hide me behind the cross. There is nothing that I can say. <laughs> there, there, there are no eloquent words that I can put together. There is no clever illustration that will do anybody any good. Somebody needs to hear your voice. Speak to them now. And we will be careful to give you all praise, honor, and glory. Above all things, O oh God. When it's all said and done and we have to leave this place and go back to our lives, my prayer is nobody remembers the messenger, not even so much the message, but the master that is in this message. And God, when you shall return again, and we are looking for your return, we pray, oh God, that you may save us into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I love this story in the Bible. Where John chapter 4 picks up, Jesus is now the most interesting man in the world. He is famous at this point in his life. He has prestige. Everybody loves him. Children run up to him and want to sit on his lap and talk to him. People are coming in droves, not by the hundreds, not by the tens and the fifties, but by the thousands. People are coming to Jesus because they recognize what power and authority he has. Would you say amen? Jesus is preaching and he's preaching the good news with power. He's preaching the word so well that people are lifted off of their feet. They are praising God. They have never heard anything like this before. And the Bible proclaims that as Jesus preaches, the people are literally amazed because they have never heard it like this before. Not only is he preaching well, he's teaching as well. When he gets down to the end of his ministry, Jesus is teaching all the way. But when he gets down to the end of his ministry, the Bible says that he took his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And on the way, he expounded to them and explained to them everything from Moses until now, how he fits into the scriptures. 
Jesus was explaining everything well. Not only was Jesus preaching, not only was he teaching well, but Jesus was healing everybody. The Bible says everywhere he went in whole towns and villages, wherever he went, he would heal everybody. Oh, come on, say amen. Jesus would heal everybody in the city. There was no malady, there was no sickness, there was no illness that threatened to stand in Jesus' way. If the person had enough faith to believe, Jesus was healing them. And I love this passage of scripture because where we pick it up, Jesus is doing so well, and you know far and wide, that when you do well, you automatically pick up enemies. So Jesus is doing the best he can. He's causing the kingdom of God to come near to the people of God. And while he is preaching, the Bible says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So as Jesus is preaching, scribes and Pharisees begin to get upset with him. And the main reason they get upset with him is because his disciples are baptizing more disciples than John did. It's the age old argument of preachers and pastors arguing amongst each other over who has the biggest church. Okay. It's the age old argument of preachers and pastors arguing over who has the most baptisms this year. And I just believe that it's a foolish argument because the word of God actually says that when one person gives their life to God, all of heaven rejoices. So although Christ is happy to be reaching thousands of people at that point, Christ is not so concerned about the numbers as much as the scribes and the Pharisees are. And so Jesus, sensing this ever-growing feeling of animosity between him and the scribes and the Pharisees, he decides unto himself, you know what, it's time for me to get out of here. It is not my time to die. I will go back to Galilee. And there would be nothing wrong with Jesus being desirous to go back to Galilee, except for verse 4. Now, he had, thank you, Lord, to go through Samaria. Mm. The Bible doesn't say he purposed or he might have. It says he had to go through Samaria. Bible is clear about that. And so there's nothing wrong with that because geographically speaking, well, uh, uh, Samaria was in a straight shot in the northern direction and so was Galilee. And so each person, if you were traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, uh, you would have to pass through Samaria anyway. But here's the problem. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other so much that as we say back home, and I've said this time and time again, if a Samaritan was on fire, the Jews would not waste their spit to put it out. They hated each other. They were disgusted by each other. In fact, the Samaritans had decided to leave the ranks of the Jews. They went and intermarried with the Gentile believers who had nothing to do with God. They built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And because of that, the Jews thought they were heathens and that they were pagans and wanted nothing to do with them. They did not like them so much they went out of their way to avoid them at any cost. They did not socialize with them did not trade with them, did not give them water on a hot day, didn't spend much time with them. They were not even casual acquaintances or associates. They did not like them at all. 
And because they did not like them, they went out of their way to avoid them. So this is what the Jews did. If they were traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, Samaria is somewhere in between. And the shortest distance would be to go through Samaria. The Jews said, you know what? We will cross over the Jordan River, go up a few miles, cross back over the Jordan River again, and get into Galilee just to avoid them. They literally hated each other. But the Bible says... Jesus had to go through Samaria. I hope you get this this morning. Help me, Lord. I can imagine the disciples right now. Jesus is driving this thing up the Jerusalem highway, trying to get to Galilee. He has his disciples in the back of the minibus. And you can imagine what they are thinking amongst themselves as Jesus is moving them steadily closer to Samaria. You may imagine that Thomas may have said to Andrew, Andrew, do you think Jesus knows where he's going? We are getting dangerously close to Samaritan County. We don't want to go there. We have nothing to do with them. Peter may have said to Bartholomew, maybe Jesus should take a look at the GPS or at the map. It doesn't seem like he's paying attention to the road. Weren't we supposed to get off at the Jordan River exit and cross back onto the Jerusalem Highway? Thomas, tell him to turn around. No, you tell him. He's the son of God. No, you tell him. You tell him. You tell him. You tell him. And all the while, they are arguing amongst themselves because they realize they are nearing a part of town where no Jews go. But the Bible says Jesus did not turn around. He did not pause. He did not stop. The word of God says he had to go through Samaria. And the Bible says that as he's driving this thing, he sees the exit to a town called Sychar. He pulls off the highway, pulls into a rest stop at Jacob's well. And there he gets ready to meet a woman that had no idea he was coming. One thing I I, I learned from this story is that we don't know God's calendar of events. Half the time, and I told this to the first service, I'm a melancholy person. I told you this before. I like order. I don't like chaos. I like for things to be organized in a neat way. I don't like surprises. Don't ever jump out from behind a wall on my birthday. I don't really care about that. I do everything decently and in order as far as I possibly can. I do not like surprises. And the one thing I do not like about God is I hardly ever know what God is up to. I know he's always up to something, but I don't know what God is up to right now, and that bothers me. I do not know where God is going, neither do I know where he's coming from. I don't know God's birthday. I don't know how long he's been alive. I don't know very much about him at all. All I know is God is working some way, somehow, and he's keeping me in the dark for my good. Sister White says that it would be best for Christians today to trust God in the darkness as well as in the light. Why the word of God says that in Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. We do not live by sight. Our circumstances say one thing, God says something else. In our minds, if it walks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, it's a duck. But with God sometimes, if it walks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, it's a bear. Just don't make no doggone sense. But God is like that sometimes, and that bothers me. But there are times in our lives when we don't know where God is or what he is doing, but God shows up in our lives. Thank you, Lord. More than usual. 
And there are times when we have to exclaim as we are looking at a situation in our lives, it is obvious to us, God did that. Mm. Wasn't nobody else. Wasn't my friends or my brothers that loved me. Wasn't my parents. Wasn't my pastor. God did this. And in those moments, I call those divine appointments. Mm. There are some select divine appointments even in the Bible. Moses at the burning bush. Paul on the road to Damascus. But we don't often think about those things. Let me bring it home and into reality for you. I'm just glad today that God does not miss his divine appointments. I'm glad every once in a while God pencils me into his calendar. Thank you, Lord. I'm just glad that God makes time for me time and time again. But let me tell you what I mean, because you just think I'm preaching good preacher jargon today. I am grateful to God that when my cousin was riding in a car with people who he thought were his friends and they pulled out a gun and put it to his skull and pulled the trigger that God lodged the bullet in his brain to help him live another day. I don't know about you, but I call that a divine appointment. I'm grateful to God that when my mother just the other day was riding down the highway, I-526, back home in Charleston, that God was with her, that it was not her in the car next to her that was spinning out of control and toppling over what seemed like five and ten times and finally landing in the ditch. Hmm. I'm grateful to God that when my father was about to be diagnosed with, with, with something that the doctors didn't even know what it was and threatened to take his limb and maybe even his life, God confounded them hmm, and showed up in his life. I'm grateful that when my dad lost his job, we never were hungry for anything. Hmm. I am grateful to God. That out of the many near-death experiences that my brother had in his life, God kept him mm, all along the way. I'm grateful to God that when I was a senior in my dorm room at Oakwood University and I had positioned myself to tell God, I will not serve you. I don't want anything to do with you. I had told myself I would give up on ministry. My phone began to ring. Mm -mm. The president of the Allegheny West Conference called to me and said, Pastor Coxum, I said, yes, <laughs> we believe in you and we believe God has a call on your life. We want to send you to Andrews University, which will position you to be a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm just grateful to God that God does not miss divine appointments. And then again, I'm even grateful to God that God uses me somewhat like a divine appointment. I told you this before, but it bears repeating now. I remember I was working at the campground one summer. You know that the, 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 the service out there is very spotty. <laughs> and I remember I received a call on my phone. I didn't get it. I just got the voicemail. I checked it later. And at that time, I had made my voicemail simply to say this. You know, my name is Pastor John Anthony Coxum. Um, I, if, if you have a message, please leave it. Make it short and brief. Leave your name and your phone number. I'll get back to you. But always remember that God loves you. And I remember that when I listened to the voicemail, an unfamiliar voice was on the other end. <laughs> and the brother said to me, I kid you not. I'm not lying. I'm not sugarcoating this thing or putting sauce on it today. The brother said to me, my brother... What you said on the end of your voicemail is exactly what I needed to hear. You don't know what I was about to do, but I just want to say thank you for what you said on your voicemail. All I said was, God loves you. 
And brothers and sisters, you may think that's small and insignificant, but I don't know what that brother was going to do. He could have been planning to kill himself. He could have been planning to walk into a school and blow that thing to smithereens. Whatever it was, I consider it a divine appointment today where God showed up unbeknownst to me. Y'all mighty quiet this morning. Bible says Jesus is on his way to Samaria. Finally gets there. Thank you, Lord. And he gets there around noon, a place called Jacob's Well. And he's about to meet with a woman that has no idea he is coming. I just need to praise God for a moment that God doesn't miss appointments. The word of God tells us, brothers and sisters, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will lift up a standard against him. The word of, you see, you don't get this one. God says he will never leave us, nor forsake us. God's word says that even when our mother and our father forsake us, the Lord will take us up. God is always there. And I say that today because I feel like there are many of us right now who are saying to ourselves, God ain't never been there for me. God was always there, my brother. God was always there, my sister. You may not have recognized him, but God was there. And I'm grateful to him today that God did not miss appointments even when I did not have sense enough to pray to him. God is there. He comes to this well, sits down by the well and Christ was not hoping at this point to run into any random person. He knew that this specific woman was going to be there at that day and he was going to make time to speak with her. So like clockwork, he's there at noon. Here comes this woman hobbling out of her home with her water pot and coming to the well. The issue here is this. It was about noon time when she came out. And many of you have heard this before, but at noontime, the sun is extremely high. It's at its highest point in the sky, which means basically that it's the hottest part of the day, which means, therefore, that this woman should not have been out there at that time because women usually come out in the morning or in the evening when it is cool. So for her to be out there, most scholars believe that she had been ostracized from her community in some way. People did not like her. She wanted to be alone, either that or she was crazy. She had no business being out there at noon all by herself. And then look at what the word says. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? (laughs) Now, I wondered to myself how this conversation would go in a modern context. Brothers, if you want to talk to a lady, and take it from me, I know I'm not married, but I got a little advice for you. Help me, Holy Ghost. Uh, uh, uh. If you want to talk to a lady, uh, you don't start off by asking her to give you something. <laughs> Am I telling the truth, brothers? Mm. That don't make no sense. Jesus comes to her and says, will you give me a drink? Jesus, hold on a minute now. Wait a minute now. Now, hold on. At least make some small talk first, Jesus. 
at least soften her mood and ease her into the situation. At least talk about how good the weather is or that she looks nice today or that her hair is lying on. I'm doing real well right now. You know that. Her hair is lying down on her shoulders really nice. And the light cascading behind her makes her look like Beyonce. She's beautiful. But Jesus gets right to the point and says to her, woman, doesn't even call her by her name. I dare you brothers to say woman. (laughs) I dare you today. Woman, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, brother, um, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So catch this scene. There must have been something about Jesus at that time that tipped her off as to his ethnicity. Maybe it was the color of his skin. Maybe it was the color of his hair or his eyes. Maybe it it was the way Jesus walked. Maybe it was his swag, young people. Uh, Maybe it was his accent. I don't know what it was, but there was something about Jesus that tipped her off. She knew that he was not Samaritan and he was a Jew. So he's speaking to her and she responds to him, brother, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We have nothing to do with each other. How is it that you being a Jew ask me a Samaritan for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God (laughs) and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. You don't have anything to give me. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them, get that, in them, a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and keep coming here to draw water all over again. Well, Jesus has got her attention now. At first, she had her walls up, and now her walls are beginning to crumble down. Christ is now about to get beneath the surface and talk to this woman about some major insecurities in her life. She did not know what type of water Jesus was referring to, but she knew she was tired of coming back to that same old well over and over again to quench her thirst. And by the way, when Jesus asked her, woman, give me a drink, he was not asking her so that she could really give it to him. Jesus was asking in order to enter into conversation with her. If Jesus wanted water just a few days ago, he had turned water into wine. There was nothing special about the water in that well. It was not name brand, name brand Dasani or Aquafina. It was not distilled or purified water. There was nothing special about the water. The water was simply a means to an end. Watch him now. Watch him now. Jesus says, lady, if you really know who was speaking to you, you would have asked me for water 
and I would have given you life-giving water, but not only life-giving water, I would have put the well in you so that you would never thirst again. This woman said to him, sir, please give me that water. She had no idea what he was talking about. All she knew was she was sick and tired of coming to that same old well over and over again. She was sick and tired of being sick and tired over and over again, finding no peace, finding no rest, and finding in her life she was always thirsty all over again. Well, I have some news for you today. Help me, Lord. Many of us in this world, we have regular watering holes and wells that we all go to when we are in trouble. When we feel down and out and we feel despairing and despondent, when we are depressed by the world and when we cannot find peace, each and every one of us has a well that we go to in order to quench our thirst. And more often than not, that well is not Jesus. Can I help you today? Well, you got to say amen for that. Well, first of all, there's the well of money. Help us, Holy Ghost. People come to this well out of pure greed. They think money will make them happy, and so they do anything to get it. They fight, they steal, they embezzle, they backbite, they do whatever they have to do, all for the love of money. But little do they know, they often forget what Biggie Small says, that the more money we have, the more problems we have as well. And even though they're fighting for more money, once they get the money, they realize that they still don't have enough, and they want much more. And at the end of the day, even though they are fighting for money, they realize that they are still thirsty. That's just one. There's also the well of fame. (laughs) People go to this well because they are approval addicts. When people have uh, uh, troubles or issues, they, they love to be in the limelight. They love to be known and to be heard because that makes them feel better. Some people just like to be seen and to be admired, but little do they know in order to keep the admiration of the people, you always got to do a little bit more than what you did yesterday. You always got to look a little bit better than you did the day before. You've always got to keep climbing up the ladder because what you did yesterday is not good enough for today. And at the end of the day, they have spent so much of their time trying to please everybody else. They don't even know who they are anymore. And at the end of the day, here's the truth of the matter. They realize after all that they have done, they are still thirsty. Oh, I'm going to help you. I haven't hit your number yet. Well, there's also the well of substance abuse. People have troubles, and when they have issues in their life, they think the best resort is to drown their troubles in the bottom of a bottle, to shoot themselves up with a temporary dose of happiness to make themselves happy. They pop a pill, or they drink a bottle down to its last point. They shoot themselves up all day long, all to quiet the rumbling pain of of temporary lost happiness and disappointed dreams and dashed hopes. They keep coming back to this well because it is an immediate effect for them. It makes them happy at that point. And people are addicted to this well. But when the dosage wears off and they realize they're still back in the same situation they were before, they realize that they are still thirsty. Well, if I haven't hit you yet, this should hit everybody in the room. There's also the well of church. People just come because they've been coming. 
have no desire to experience God, neither to lift their hands and praise him. And even if they are doing it, they are doing it out of habit because they are just like robots. They come into the church, sit down in the same pew, talk to the same people, have the same uh, cheese eating grin everywhere they go and say happy Sabbath, even though they do not mean it. They just come because they feel if they have their names on the roll, some way, somehow they are better off than everybody else. But nobody's experiencing anything. No lives are changed. Nobody's heart is transformed. Nobody is converted. Nobody is brought closer to Christ. It's just a well for them to get their temporary fix so that they can go back to their lives from whence they came. And once they walk out the doors, they realize they are still thirsty. Well, there's also... The well of gossip. Somebody say, amen. Hmm. People come to this well not only to drink, my brother, but they come also to give everybody else a large heaping dose of the garbage that they are spewing out about everybody else. Most people are unsatisfied with their own lives. And so at this well, you can find backstabbers and backbiters, frenemies, haters, and busybodies here. They love to slurp up the problems of everybody else because they feel that misery loves company. And once they are finished drinking and talking about everybody else, at the end of the day, they realize they don't even know who they are even anymore. They have spent so much time analyzing somebody else's life. They don't have a life of their own. And they realize they are still come on somebody well there's also the well of companionship Mm. maybe i'll stay here a few minutes like i did in first service i don't know people come to this well because they feel lonely and insecure Mm. feel like if they don't have somebody by their side they are somehow less than the other people that are in couples Single folk, talk to me. Mm. Stay away from this well. (laughs) Stay away from this well. People come to this well because they think if they don't have somebody by their side, if they don't have a man or a woman by them, they are less than everybody else. There's nothing wrong with wanting to share your life with somebody. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in a relationship with somebody. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in a marriage where the fire is always burning. Praise God, everybody. But there is something wrong, brothers and sisters. There is something wrong when we esteem somebody else above God. What I've discovered in my short time on this earth is that nothing is more fickle than people. People will leave you. People will backbite on you. People will stab you in the back. People will turn their face away from you. They will allow their feelings to dictate how they treat you. You can't put your trust in people. And if you're always at the well of companionship, then you are blown by every wind in this world. People go to this well because they feel they, I just got to have somebody. And at the end of the day, after relationship, after relationship, (laughs) and coupling up after coupling up, and date after date, and wanting to be with everybody, they realize they are still thirsty. Hmm. Does not take a man or a woman to complete us. How many of you know that? You don't believe that today. What you think is two halves make a whole, that's not true. Two holes make a hole, brothers and sisters. Oh, man. 
I'm whole. My wife is going to be whole. When we come together, we are whole. I don't need her to complete me. The word of God says we are already complete in Christ. Jesus is speaking to this woman. He realizes that she's at one of these wells and more than likely, as the text tells us, she is at this well of companionship. And he speaks to this woman to reveal to her the number one thing that is blocking her connection with him. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will, 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 will be in him, become a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. And this woman, although she does not know exactly what he is talking about, she says to him, Jesus, please give me this water. Now the tables have turned. At first, she was a little apprehensive against Jesus. At first, she was a little antagonistic. But when Jesus makes her the deal of a lifetime and an offer that she cannot refuse, immediately she locks into him and says, Jesus, that's what I want. I do not have peace in my life. I am never satisfied. I go to bed always wanting. I wake up desirous and unhappy. I am more depressed than happy. I am despondent every day of my life. I want satisfaction. Give me that water. Mm. Screaming to him now. And then Jesus, (laughs) being the brilliant conversationalist that he is, says to her, go call your husband and come back. Now, I could not understand this at first. Jesus did not have to shake the husband of this woman in order to give her this life-giving water. It was not a prerequisite for him to meet this woman uh, before he could bless her in the way that he had intended to bless her. And I wondered to myself, why did Jesus do this? And I believe that Jesus asked her this question to bring to the forefront of her mind the main thing that was blocking her connection with him. The main thing that was keeping her from living a purposeful, get this in your spirit today. The main thing that was keeping her from living a purposeful and meaningful life, Jesus had to bring to the surface. How many of you know that God will expose you? Uh But the one thing I'm thankful to God about is more often than not, if we work with him, God does not expose us to everybody else. Oh, you ought to say amen. God does not sell our story to the newspapers. I got some stuff in my life right now you ain't going to never know about. Mm, 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 mm. It's just between me and God. And I'm grateful that the word of God says, if I confess my sins, he is faithful, thank you, Lord, and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I don't have to tell you everything. And so Jesus, being the loving Savior that he is, often when he exposes us, he simply holds up a mirror to us and say, hmm, look at this. This is you. Take a good look. (laughs) Glance at this thing. This is where you are right now. And so when Jesus said, go call your husband, you already know what he was doing. And then look at this. I love this. The woman cleverly replied, well, I don't have no husband. Jesus said to her, you know what? 
You're right when you say that. You're, you're so funny. You're right. That's my bad, my mistake. Um, when you say you have no husband. Uh, the fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man that you are with right now, he is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. I just love Jesus and the way that he talks. It's so funny. Yeah, you're right. You, 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 I'm my bad. I didn't mean to ask you that. You don't have a husband. But you know what? I did. Yeah, you did have five husbands. Am I right about that? You had five husbands. And the one that you have right now is not your husband. Jesus wasn't joking on her, wasn't tripping on her, wasn't trying to make her feel bad. But at the end of the day, if she didn't get over this hump, she would never be able to receive that life-giving water. I'm trying to teach you something today. And I pray this thing gets in your spirit. She said to him, get this, sir, the woman said, um, I can see you must be a prophet. <laughs> I'm just reading the text, y'all. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that, uh, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now is come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit, in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, the Bible says, I, the one you am speaking to, <laughs> I am he. When you hear the voice of the Lord... <laughs> Harden not your heart. Jesus says to her, that same thing that you thought you were looking for, I am that. What you think you need, no, scratch that, put an X through it. What you need is me. I, the one speaking to you, am he. Christ appealed to the very issue this woman was dealing with, an unquenchable thirst. And the truth is, this woman was not physically thirsty, but perhaps socially and emotionally and spiritually. The well inside of her was bone dry. She was emotionally dead. She was spiritually bankrupt. She had nothing going right in her life. This woman had five husbands and she has been working on her six right now. And as I studied psychology and I took a look at this uh, conversation that happened in scripture, I also noticed a few things about this woman. First and foremost, she was not a loose woman, neither was she an adulterer. If she had been that, they would have stoned her immediately in that society. She would have been dead. Her problem was she just kept jumping back into marriages over and over again. The woman was not a dumb woman. She was not stupid by any means. In fact, she was very intelligent. Even in the text, she speaks very convincingly about her faith and tells Jesus what she believes so she knows her stuff. Now, the truth is she must have been a beautiful woman. She was able to snag five husbands. And she was working on a sixth one. Mm-hmm. She was bad. Okay. All right. But she also, at least from analyzing this conversation, she wanted somebody to love her just to prove that she was lovable. 
Many of our young girls have the same self-same addiction today. Many of them have been hurt so much in their families and in their homes that in order to prove that they are a lovable person, they hop in and out of relationships all the time and not just the girls. Sometimes the guys do it as well. And mostly because our self-esteem is so low and we are so insecure about ourselves. And this woman thought that what she needed in her life every time she got out of a relationship was to find another man to fill the gap. Truth is, she was all thirsty her whole life, but she was trying to quench her thirst with the wrong things. How many of you remember that commercial, Obey Your Thirst? Sprite came out with that thing. They had this good-looking brother on there. I don't know if he was good-looking. I'm just saying he might have been good-looking, whatever. Um, Drank some Sprite while he's on the basketball court, and immediately he rises up and dunks the ball. Boom. Then girls come out in bikinis and come around him, and he's the cool man or whatever. He's posing and everything like that. And then on the screen, boom, obey your thirst. But how many of you know Sprite don't quench your thirst? Come on, man. Dude, what? You mess around and drink some Sprite out there on a hot day outside playing basketball, you're going to pass out and kill yourself, my brother. Let's just be honest about this thing. The only thing that can quench your thirst is water. (laughs) I'm not a medical doctor, but that's what I think. I don't know. I don't. This woman was thirsty, thought she could thirst, quench her thirst with a man. <laughs> Only man who could love her really was Jesus. Only man who wanted to love her really, even with her defects of character, was Jesus. And it bothered me as I thought about this thing. Why was this woman being divorced so many times? And what you have to understand is that the reason this woman would be divorced is because a man divorced her. Women during that time did not have a right to divorce. So if she got out of a relationship, it was mostly because a man did not want to be with her. So maybe that there was something wrong with her. Maybe she just was a little bit too insecure. Or maybe she just couldn't cook, y'all. Y'all know that's a deal breaker sometimes for most brothers today. If you can't cook, that's a sin all up in itself, okay? Uh, I don't know what it was. She would be divorced, five times working on her sixth one and we don't know where that was going to end up (laughs) that's why brothers and sisters we need to be careful about the relationships that we pursue as well i said it for the first service and it bears repeating now listen to me carefully if a man or a woman is not willing to give their heart to god they cannot give it to you If a man or woman does not have their heart and their interest invested in God, who is the author and finisher of love, they cannot really and truly love you. They don't even know what love is. The Bible says God is love and love is God. Mm. Truth be told, let's finish this thing up. I can get out of here. Truth be told, Christ really wanted to heal this woman and bless this woman and pull her out of the vicious cycle and the emotional roller coaster of her life. But he really wanted to use this woman. How many of you know this today? Sometimes your pain is somebody else's prescription. Oh, you just said something, Pastor. I know. Sometimes... Your pain is somebody else's prescription. In other words, some of the things that you go through in your life, believe it or not, 
it's not just for you. Somewhere along the line, God wants you and to use you to bless somebody else. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Sometimes the problems that you have in your life are not for you specifically. God wants to use you so that you can reach somebody else and bring them in as well. Sometimes it's only you that can speak to somebody when they're going through divorce if you've been through divorce already. Sometimes you're the only person that can get through to somebody, no matter how well a preacher is preaching so eloquently, no matter how well he's, he's giving the word passionately, sometimes it is a simple word from somebody who's been through it already that will change somebody's life. He went specifically to her. God wanted to use this woman as a witness to stick with me so I can end this thing out. But her constant dependency on men and on others was crippling God's power in her life and what he could do through her. And brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully right now. Many of us do not have the power of God in our lives right now simply because there are things in our lives that we hold to more than God. And you have to ask yourself, what well do I usually run to when I am in trouble? Do I run to my prayer closet and pray when I am in trouble? Is my first impulse to lift my hands and praise God anyhow, no matter what I'm going through? Is my first reaction to call up somebody and ask them to pray for me or to go to the scriptures and read the word? Or is my first reaction to go shopping? Am I all about me? We have to ask ourselves, what well are we at? (laughs) Jesus says to this woman, woman, listen, I'm prepared to make you the deal of a lifetime. Now, here's the thing. I want to give you some water so that you will not have to keep coming back to the well. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been through a lot. But if you just take this water that is free of charge, mind you, I'm telling you, you will never thirst again. Look at the word. Look at the word. Then, leaving her water jar, verse 28, (laughs) the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. (laughs) I just love verse 28. The word says, then she left her water jar behind. (laughs) This is symbolic, brothers and sisters. The reason many of us cannot walk into anything is because we ain't never walked out of nothing. The reason many of us (laughs) cannot be where God wants us to be, and the reason we cannot be blessed the way God wants us to be blessed is because we have never left anything behind. Our problem is, is that wherever God is leading us and wherever God wants to take us, we want to drag everything with us behind us. Sometimes it's even our sins. It's a guilty feeling. (laughs) 
The Bible says, God has drowned our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. We will strap on some scuba diving gear and go back down and get that thing, bring it to the top, and still feel hurt about something that God has already forgiven us of. Many of us, the reason we don't experience God in our lives, hear me now, the reason we cannot get with God the way God wants us to be with him is because we ain't never left nothing behind. You just don't come to God with everything and say, God, I'm taking this with me. Can you let me in? No, 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 my brothers. No, 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 that's not how it works. In fact, the word of God says you ought to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The reason... The reason we're, let me get prosperity for, on you for a minute. The reason some of us are not even blessed monetarily, financially. In, oh, y'all don't believe me today. The reason God cannot give us certain things, we ain't left nothing behind. He can't trust you with something. And many times when God wants to bless us, he cannot. I love what Ellen White says. She says that there are blessings stored up in heaven that are wrapped up like presents with bowls on top that God wants to give his people. But the only reason he cannot give it to us is because one, we have not asked. And two, we are not willing to leave behind the things that make us comfortable on this earth. So God says to this woman, listen. I want to give you water. The woman says, you know what? I'm going to leave my water jar behind. I don't need this thing anymore. The same water pot she used each and every day to come to God. The same water pot that she used each and every day to get water to fill herself up. But it never filled her up at any point in her life. And then the Bible says this as we get prepared for evangelism in July. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man. Who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Spirit of prophecy says that while Jesus was talking to this woman, she was thinking in her mind and she asked herself, who is this man that is turning the pages of my life history? Who is this that knows me so well right now? And I found out there's a fundamental difference between Jesus and the rest of us uh, preachers today. Most of us preachers, when the pastor and I preach, we're more like shotguns. Here, here we go. I'll make an example and I'm going to sit down. We're, we're, we're a lot like shotguns. When you fire a shotgun, your hope is this. Though as the bullets come out, they spray in all different directions. You're just hoping that you hit as many targets as you possibly can. When the pastor and I preach, we pray, we study, we give our hearts to God, we research, we look up stuff, we do our exegesis, we write down our sermons, we get it together. But really and truly, we're preaching a general message that we pray may find a lodging place in at least one person's heart. But Jesus is not like a shotgun. Jesus is more like a sniper. <laughs> he zeroes in on his target. He knows what he is aiming at. And he makes his shot sure. He knows this woman inside and out. And when he fires, he knows exactly what he is getting at. The problem is God cannot get to us because we have so much stuff in the way. <sighs> Bible tells us that when Jesus was preaching at one point, the people were literally amazed at him. And I wondered to myself, what made his preaching so much different than anybody else's in the world today? He's basically saying the same thing, and we're quoting what he is saying. What's the difference? And the Lord told me this. 
as Jesus is preaching, he is reading the hearts. Oh, man. He's just not preaching to a sea of faces. Christ knows what you're going through and what you're dealing with and what you're dealing with. And he tailor fits his message for each person. Everybody gets hit. Everybody's toes get stepped on. Everybody has to call themselves to repentance. Everybody knows that the word is not for somebody else. Oh, it's for me today. Christ preaches to this woman. He's a sniper rifle. And then he says, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be a Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way to, towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then verse 39, let me wrap this up. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. (laughs) Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare for evangelism (laughs) I need you to know that you are the biggest advertisement that we could ever have there is nothing more potent and powerful than a changed life and I read this morning actually in my devotional from the spirit of prophecy she says first and foremost your life ought to be consecrated to God before you try and go and reach out and touch somebody else's life. I find that there are so many people in the church today who have had an experience like this. No, you didn't see Jesus in person at a well one day speaking to you, calling out all your issues and your problems, but you're here today. And many of you in this room right now, God has saved your life and the word of God says let the redeemed of the Lord say so this woman immediately after she got her problem fixed and after she left her water park behind went out first and foremost to tell somebody else Now, that may seem like a simple message to end this thing on, but it's a powerful one because it's exactly what the people of God are not doing. The text not only says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hands of the enemy. And if you're under the sound of my voice today, I just get some inkling or some feeling that God brought you here. You didn't choose to be here for yourself. God brought you here and he saved your life in order to do it. It would be a shame today, after all that God has done, that we don't at least invite somebody into the house of the Lord. It would be a shame today that after all God has done for us, 
we don't take time at least to witness and to tell somebody else about the good news of Jesus. This woman got healed. The people in the town did not even like her. And immediately she was so overjoyed for what God had done. She said, come see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. Do you believe in the power of God? I mean, do you really believe in the power of God? Do you really believe that God is in the business of saving people and transforming lives? Do you really agree that we can experience God when we come to church? Do you really believe that God answers prayer so much that there are people in the audience today who have been diagnosed with cancer and now the doctors cannot find it? Do you really believe that God is in the business of turning lives upside down and saving people? If you really believe that, brothers and sisters... Why don't you stand to your feet right now?